want to welcome you to our podcast today. The topic today is the types of gifts people are giving in this environment or today. And we have with us the remarkable Johnny Hayes. Uh, Johnny is uh, a tremendous asset, uh, very knowledgeable, has great experience, and is just a genuinely good person. So, Johnny, thanks for being with us today. Hello. Thanks for having me, Eddie. When you look at the environment today, Johnny, and we know that annual gift donors and major gift donors are more hesitant than ever, uh, capital campaign pledges uh, are uh, frightening to many of our donors, what type of gifts are people making today? Well, what I really see happening is a lot of people are looking at gifts that are going to happen when they pass away. Uh, we call them estate gifts. Some people might refer to them as bequests. But we're looking at those types of gifts because it really meets the needs of our donors. These types of gifts allow them to keep their money and their assets their entire lifetime. And then only upon their death, when they realize they're not going to need that type of money, that's when these charitable gifts are coming through. So bequests, um, gifts from trust, um, beneficiary designations are very, very um, popular because they're meeting the needs. When you, when you think about that, Johnny, I guess that first question many donors are not able to answer today is, do I have enough to live on the rest of my life? Do you, do you see that as a concern for some? I do. I see um, people wondering how long their money is going to last. Mm -hmm. They uh, often will bring up, well, what if I need to go into a nursing home? Mm -hmm. or what, you know, those kinds of contingencies. They see other elderly relatives having gone through that, and so they need to make sure first that they can have their assets their entire lifetime if they should need them. Do you, do you think there's a, if you had to put a percent on what the gifts are, if they're revocable or irrevocable, what percent would be revocable gifts? Nationwide, we see about 80% of planned gifts of all types being the estate gifts, so the revocable mm -hmm. um, gifts from a will, a trust, a beneficiary designation, roughly around 80, maybe up to 85%. Mm -hmm. do, you, do you think that, uh, I hear every now and then that nonprofits are just leery about trying to secure revocable gifts. Does that give you any pause for a donor to say they'd rather make it revocable than irrevocable? Well, we know that that meets the donor's needs. And when we do donor-centered philanthropy, we want to do what works for our donors best. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of times that is the revocable gift. Mm -hmm. You know, Johnny, you're a good deal younger than I am, but one of the things I've noticed over the years is that people who put in a charity for a revocable gift, it's extremely rare that uh, – that gift doesn't take place. It might be smaller than the anticipator, maybe a smaller percent of the charitable dollar, but would you say it's pretty rare for someone to, uh, or, or maybe there's a better way of describing it, rare that they do not continue with a revocable gift to their death? I think you're right. In fact, there was a Stelter study um, a couple of years ago that actually documented that and found that to be true. I see a lot of times once a charity is named in a legal document, it's very seldom that that um, gift would come out. And you usually find it, uh, and I 
mean no disrespect to the religious organizations, but a lot of times if it is going to happen, I find it's a change yeah. in oh. the leadership of an organization. Oh, yeah. Um, those kind of things. But, you know, that's rare. Mm-hmm. And once somebody has locked in a charity and uh, they've captured their heart, um, it's pretty hard to pretty hard to change their mind. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, boy, Johnny, I think you're absolutely on target. When you think about donors and some of their considerations, and one reason they so frequently rely on replicable gifts, it, it helps them, doesn't it, to feel like they've got enough to live on the rest of their lives? That, As you mentioned, that is really more donor-centered. Right, because in, you know, in this economy and you know what we've seen since, since 2008, Mm-hmm. Uh, with donors really wanting to make sure that they can take care of themselves first, which makes sense, mm-hmm. having those assets available to them their entire life, and not having that revocable or revocable gift coming into fruition until after they, their lifetime, that really gives them the peace of mind that they need in knowing that they're going to be helping a charitable organization, but it's going to be in the future when they can afford to give up those assets. Mm-hmm. Do you see, too, Johnny, when you're working with donors, and, and you worked with many over a number of years, don't you believe that most donors, when they make a pledge out of their state, they uh, they give a smaller value than they what they really believe is going to come. In other words, instead of saying they're going to give a hundred thousand dollars, maybe they put down fifty or seventy-five thousand because they're fearful of not fulfilling that pledge. Yeah, people are very um, you know, they're sensitive, they're careful, they don't want to overcommit and then not be able to have the funds there when the time occurs. So yeah, I think people are very considerate about not over um, estimating how large their estate's going to be. And it seems, uh, I'd like to hear your thoughts on this, it seems to me that very often people who make plan gifts tend to be very cautious, careful accumulators of wealth, and are also cautious in making pledges. Is that is that what you oh, find? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. In fact, you know, when you look at people's behavior styles, sometimes you can, you know, actually see those sorts of traits in people, they care very deeply about the organization. So they'll come in and they'll say, oh, you moved the painting in the, you know, in the entrance. What happened to that painting? I mean, they're so um, well-connected and invested emotionally um, with the organization that they tend to be very cautious, careful accumulators of wealth. They are not the type of people that are, in general, flashy. Mm-hmm. or sort of throwing their money around town, but people that take uh, take very good care of their money and are good stewards of their money, they tend to be wonderful plan-giving prospects. Do you, do you also find, Johnny, that they, because of their personality traits, they're uh, very cautious of, about uh, being included in a historical society or memorial society or heritage organization because they're afraid that if they put their name out there and they run out of money, that they will have been lying, at least in their sight, lying to the nonprofit. Yeah, they're very careful about that. In fact, nationwide, only one out of every three people that makes a plan gift to an organization will step forward and say, and even declare it to the organization and say, I've left you in my will. So people are cautious. They tend to think that... um, they're very private, and they tend to think, well, gee, it's nobody else's business but my own. 
and so they don't necessarily want to even let the nonprofit know, let alone go to that next step of saying, yes, I'll be in a legacy or a heritage society or a plan giving recognition club. And a lot of times they are private people and they don't want the attention, they don't want the accolades. Well, that doesn't apply to everybody. Of course, there are always people that will appreciate that genuine thank you um, that a recognition society does. But yes, sure, not all will want to join the club. When you, when you think about these individuals, uh, Johnny, it seems to me that the, the person who makes the, the bequest that shocks us when we get a call from an attorney saying that uh, Mrs. Smith has passed away and she's left you $100,000 and we go, no one knows her and we go digging through our records, we find that she gave us $25, $50 a year for the last 8 to 10 years, maybe 15 years. Don't you believe that very often these individuals are not your best major gift or capital campaign gift uh, donors. Is that your experience? That has been my experience because, you know, what I'll find, if I have somebody that's given me, uh, me an organization, a $25 gift for the last five or seven years, or I have a chance to work with somebody that's given me $7,000 in one lump sum gift, who's a better plan giving cost? Yeah. Always going to be that person that's giving you that um, ongoing annual gift of any dollar amount. Those are your loyal donors, people that are with you every year, year after year. Maybe they're giving you the best that they can during their lifetime, but maybe they can afford to do more from their estate once they're gone. And so you always want to look at that loyalty component. Who has been giving to your organization for? a longer period of time, again, regardless of the dollar amount. They just maybe haven't answered the question, do I have enough to live on the rest of my life? And, that could uh, be very well. Yeah. You know, Johnny, uh, if you're going to top, name the top five forms of giving from donors today, what, what do you think they would be? Obviously, you got the the cash gift, but what other kind of gifts do you have out there that nonprofits should be looking for? Well, um, you know, we used to say bequest, bequest, bequest. Bequests are so easy. But, but I want to take that a step further, Eddie, because really beyond the bequest, and it kind of depends on how you define it, but what we're really seeing the most common are beneficiary designation gifts. That means somebody that has an IRA account, a retirement account where they name um, somebody is a beneficiary, we're finding tremendous tax savings by using those beneficiary designations as a future charitable gift. Um, there's all kinds of tax savings. There's ease of putting it together because it's just a beneficiary form. And not that you know any lawyers are bad or anything, but when people have to go and have their will done to put a bequest in their will, they have to go see their lawyer and get that updated. So a lot of times people are saying, what's a simple, easy gift that I can do and yet make a difference? So the beneficiary forms of the IRAs, the life insurance, um, a lot of seniors have uh, what are called commercial annuities that are beneficiary forms. And then gifts and wills and um, revocable living trusts, I would say, are the probably the five most common. You know, we've been fortunate to have Johnny with us today. Johnny is the president of the Charitable Estate Planning Institute. 
Uh, and, and Johnny, you want to take a moment and just tell the dates for that in case some folks are interested in attending. This is a, a tremendous program if you're wanting a deep dive into charitable plans. Uh, Johnny has assembled a tremendous team of professionals, and it is a great week. I tell you, uh, the reviews and, and the accolades are enormous. So, Johnny, do you mind sharing those dates with us? Sure. It's um, this April. It starts on a Monday, April 28th, and goes through Thursday, May 1st, and it's going to be held in Nashville. And uh, it's our second annual, and like you said, we've had wonderful um, feedback and success with the Charitable Estate Planning Institute. Well, we appreciate the work you're doing as president. You uh, you bring uh, uh, some uh, real credence to it, and you've assembled a great team. We, we appreciate your leadership in that. Johnny, if somebody wants to reach out to you, if they have a question, uh, what's the easiest way to reach to you? The easiest way to reach me is by email. Okay. But I'll also give you uh, my cell phone. So I'll start with the email. It's my first name, Johnny, J-O-H-N-I, at C-E-P-L-A-N, as in Nancy.com. So that's Johnny at CEPlan.com. My phone number is area code 515-988-8817. Okay. So Johnny at CEPlan.com, 515-988-8817. Is that correct? Yes. And I tell you, if you're looking for someone to speak uh, at a conference or uh, any type of meeting where you need a, a really good presenter, Johnny's just the best. And, uh, Johnny, we really appreciate your time today. You've given us some good information. Uh, I, I just really appreciate your insight and wisdom. We want to thank you for spending time with us today. Thank you, Eddie. We appreciate you uh, listening today. And uh, if you have questions, don't hesitate to send us an email or to call us. If you have a suggested podcast, we'd love to hear that too. We want to thank you for joining us today. We hope that you have a good rest of the week.